Dana Eason was baptized on Monday. Is that good news? We rejoice with her family. This is absolutely wonderful, and I think we should pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for Dana's decision to be clothed with you, to put you on in baptism. Father, I'm grateful for the teenagers that were here that night and the families and uh, the way that those of us who have teens uh, form a, a group together and encourage each other and bless each other. It was wonderful to do that on Monday night. Father, Dana has a rich heritage, uh, both in the church and in her own family, in you. And Father, we're just so grateful for those who've gone before her, who have known you and loved you and who now have passed on the faith to Dana. Father, we pray every blessing on her. We pray that you'd strengthen her at school this year, that things would go wonderfully for her. Help her to be a light for those around her. Help her to be a testimony for who who you are in her life. Father, I I look forward to the ways in which she's going to continue to serve you and honor you with all her life. We're just so grateful that she has made this very important decision and taken this step of putting you on in baptism. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. God bless you. In uh, June of 2006, when Robin and I first arrived, I didn't know Jack, I didn't know John, I didn't know our elders, Uh, I knew almost none of you. I'd met Wayne before, he'd come out to Victoria and I'd met him, but there weren't very many of you that I knew. And so what is a person going to preach on when you uh, don't know the church at all? And sometimes people will say, what's your plan, you know, as you go into this church? And it's kind of like, well, I have no idea because I don't know what this church is like or who they are or what they might need. You can't easily come up with something. So I thought, well, I'll preach on the book of Joshua, which I did. thought I can't go wrong with that. Joshua is a book about people taking the promised land and God being with them and encouraging them. And it was just, uh, you know, God's presence, our dependency on him. And so we talked about that uh, when I first got here. In the fall of 2007, our staff, our elders, we had been thinking about things and uh, had read a book, Simple Church, and we started talking a lot about discipleship. Uh, We recognized that there was something really valuable about the idea of discipleship, uh, focusing on that maybe in a way that we hadn't before. We've got this beautiful statement in our mission to be like Jesus and loving and serving God and humanity. We will follow the Bible, minister to Christians, reach out to the world. And to follow Jesus is in one way simply to talk about discipleship. We talked about it with some intentionality, with some purpose and some plan, uh, but wanted to, to maybe refocus uh, in that area. A, a few days ago, I was talking with David Lidbury, and he said, well, you know, Kelly, uh, people have been doing discipleship for a long time. And he went on and described for me how it is that he was himself discipled. And I thoroughly agree. I remember being discipled myself. And if there hadn't been some discipleship that took place within uh, my own life, then it wouldn't have happened. But we're trying to, in addition to the intention, into the uh, discipleship that has gone on in the past in terms of one-on-one kind of discipling, to do that in a very intentional way. And we want to, to be the kind of disciples that Jesus wants us to be. So we talked a lot about discipleship in the fall of 2007. In fall of 2008, we made following Jesus quite practical by talking about family. And we spent all fall talking about what it means to be Christian parents and Christian grandparents, what it means for us to train our children in the Lord, uh, what it means even for us to be kids 
And how do we respond to our parents who want very much for us to know the Lord? So we talked about that in the fall of 2008. As we moved into 2009, we started talking about being lights in our communities and having influence in our circles of influence so that we would go into uh, our communities with the gospel and not just disciple our families, but we would also be discipling those around us and give them the good news of Christ that they could become these followers of Jesus that we know Christ wants us to be. And then in the last little while here, as spring rolled into summer, we've been talking a lot about Jesus and specifically the spirituality that Jesus possesses and what it looks like for Jesus to be the spiritual person of God. Well, all of that has been... Surprise, intentional. Like the goal has been for us to move along some kind of path in our understanding of what it means to be Christian. And in the same way that David is bang on when he says, well, there was discipleship that was going on a long time before we got intentional about it. And he's exactly right about that. There was a lot of preaching that went on before Kelly ever got here. Years and years of sermons. People would say, Way too many years of way too many sermons. And there's going to be way too many years of way too many sermons in the future. But all of this is designed, I would think, to take us someplace. To move us along some kind of path. To to head us in a direction that we would like to think that God wants us to go. And so I'm, I'm kind of saying this morning that I want us to be thinking already about the coming of the fall about our fall launch, and about where we're going to be focusing for the fall. In talking about Jesus and his spirituality, the reason I did that was because I wanted to say to the church, and and even to myself, Jesus is clearly spiritual. That there is something real and profound about spirituality as opposed to worldliness. And for us to start thinking even more than we have in the past about what it means for us to be spiritual persons, in light of the fact that in the fall we're going to focus on the Holy Spirit. And we haven't always in Churches of Christ focused as directly on the Holy Spirit as we are going to do this fall. I don't think that I've ever, in uh, 20 years of preaching, I don't think that I have ever done a whole series devoted specifically to the Holy Spirit and his ministry in the life of the church. And so I'm excited about this. I think it's going to be a very good thing for us to spend some time together focusing on the Spirit and seeing what God does with that. God, through His Spirit, is going to bless us when we focus on the Holy Spirit. And so I, I just wanted to say that. Be thinking about, along those lines. Be thinking about what it means uh, for us to be spiritual. This morning, in kind of continuing along those lines, I want to focus for a moment on Jesus and specifically in the way that Jesus, through the Spirit, ministered to people. And more than anything, I want to I think this morning about the attitude that Jesus himself had toward people and the way that he treated them. I'm thinking this morning about a, a girl in Victoria named Tina McGinnis who's physically had all kinds of difficulties. She had a, a heart, a physical heart I'm talking about, her blood pumping apparatus that didn't work very well. And there was always the possibility that Tina's heart was going to stop at any moment. When I met her, she was probably about 22, 23 years old, single. But despite the fact that her heart didn't work so well, Tina had a heart of gold. And it manifested itself all the time in the ways in which she related to people. 
Like you've met people like Tina. They're the kind of people who it seems like they never have anybody that they haven't met before. Every person they meet, it's like they've known them before. They begin to build this rapport and this relationship with people right from the bat. And Tina was just like that. She had this ability to just build relationships with people right from the get-go. And it didn't matter if they were young or they were old. The first person that she brought to church was a lady who had to be in her 80s, Alberta Hutchison. Alberta died a few years after we met her and after we baptized her. She was well up in years. Tina's 22, but builds this relationship with this elderly lady and brings her to the assembly and exposes her to Christ. Absolutely wonderful. And Alberta wasn't at all the only one that Tina did that with. She just had this great heart. Another person, Tim Myatt. When Robert and I moved to Dallas in 2001 from Victoria, we had our goal to go to a new Church of Christ every weekend when we got down there. We thought, there's probably 50, 60 churches of Christ in the Dallas area. We will go to 50 or 60 churches of Christ during the next year. We've been on Vancouver Island for 15 years. We're kind of isolated out there. We'll pick a different church of Christ every week, and we'll go to a different one. The first one we picked was just down the street from the hotel that we were staying at. So we went there on a Sunday morning. We never went to another one the whole time we were there. And the reason why is because this church was just so fantastic. I can remember like it was yesterday walking into a fellow. He was sitting on a table. His name was Tim Myatt, sitting on a table in the foyer. When we walked in, it was early. We got there a little bit early, walked in. Tim greeted me, wanted to know who I was, what did we do in there. And I told him, you know, in three or four minutes, came down here, used to preach for the church in Victoria, down here going to school, we're in a hotel, looking for a house, that kind of thing. And Tim immediately said to me, why don't you come stay at my house? You, can just, you, you and your family can just come out. Now, we had three kids with us, two of whom were grown. So we're talking about five people, really four adults, all of a sudden just taking up residence in Tim's house. Now, we didn't take him up on it. And that was kind of fortunate for him. I saw Tim's house later. It wasn't very big. But he had a great attitude about people that he would just meet. Tim had a, a, a past that put him in touch with alcohol and alcoholism. And he had a real heart for people who wanted to come out of that. And he would just minister to them. He was the kind of person, just like Tina McGinnis, who would just attract others and just build relationship with others almost off the bat. It's as if they knew you all along. Well, my impression is that this is so often how Jesus operated. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're just going to go through a, a couple of chapters here. It's coincidental that Peter and I are both in John this morning. Look at John chapter 1, page 750 in your pew Bibles. And just look at the couple of passages here with me. And the, and the focus here is, or the question is, how is it that Jesus deals with people? John chapter 1 Again, page 750, I think, in your pew Bibles. Verse 35, it says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? Now, I've said to people before, I don't think that that was a casual question. If you saw somebody following you, you might turn around and say, What do you want? as if you were frightened by them or something's going on there that you don't like. I don't think that's what Jesus was doing. In fact, I think Jesus was asking a very pointed question. He knew what they wanted. He's the Son of God. 
But he says to them, what do you want? I think making them think. What is it we want? Why are we here? Why are we following these people, this uh, person? What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They didn't know what to say to him. It's like Tim Myatt's house. Is, is your house big enough for us? What's going on? Verse 39, come, he replied, and you will see. Another kind of pregnant statement. Just ready to burst forth with something here that's wonderful. Come and see what you're going to find with me. And you're going to find out a lot more than you bargained for. You might be wondering who I am and where I'm staying. I'm going to tell you more than you ever dreamed in coming to me. Jesus opened his life up to people. These people were seekers. He opens himself up to seekers and he brings them with him. Later on in the conversation, you'll see that others come to him and he says things like, follow me. And it doesn't mean follow me down the road, follow me down the path, follow me to our house. It means follow me with your life. And Jesus was inviting people to come and be part of his life. Okay, look over across the page. I want you to look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3 verse 1. Yeah, across the page in your pew Bible. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. That's interesting. Probably came because he didn't want people to see him. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher and who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. That's an interesting statement. Nicodemus says, I know that you're a teacher from God. I'm here to investigate who you are. I'm kind of on my own personal search here. I want to know what's going on. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. In, a, in many ways, doesn't even answer Nicodemus and his query. And yet, he does. He does exactly because he understands that Nicodemus is a man on a search, that he wants to hear something from the Lord. He wants to better know God. And so Jesus gets right to the issue and then carries on with Nicodemus, speaks to him of the Holy Spirit eventually, builds relationship with him. You say, how do I know that he built relationship with him? John chapter 19 says this. This is right when Jesus has been crucified. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them, Wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. And so this encounter at night in John chapter 3 is not something that just happened once and goes away. Instead, Jesus obviously built a relationship with Nicodemus that called something out of him, called out of him faith. And there, after the crucifixion, with all that was on the line and with all the risk that was possible, Nicodemus chooses to honor his Lord by taking his body and caring for it. All because Jesus listened to Nicodemus's query as to who he was and what was happening. Jesus could have easily that night been too tired. He could have easily said, no, I shut the door. I don't want to have anybody from the Sanhedrin come and investigate things with me tonight. 
I've been healing people all day. I'm a little bit weary. It would be nice to be left alone. But he doesn't. He opens his life. And in the course of opening his life to Nicodemus, because he cares about him and ministering to this man, Nicodemus ends up coming and knowing who Jesus is and staying faithful to him. Then I want you to look at John chapter 4. This is a story that we know so well. In verse 4 it says, Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, listen to this, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus asked her, answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him and would have given you living water. And then he goes on and has this conversation with her that many of us know so well, the conversation about living water, the conversation about whether or not he's Messiah, the conversation about what's going to happen with her in her life. And Jesus takes time. But the text has already said that Jesus was tired. And the fact that the disciples have to go in town to get some food makes me think that maybe he's hungry. And later on when they bring back food and he says, I've got food that you don't know anything about, they wonder, well, maybe he got food from somebody else because clearly they had tried to bring some food to Jesus. But Jesus, even though tired and even though hungry, and again, no, long, no doubt uh, weary from all the pressure of the crowds that were around him constantly, takes the time to spend with this woman and then really gets into her with her life to the point where he says things to her like, I know about your marital situation. I understand where you've been. I understand who you are. I know you. I understand you. I know where you're at. I know what you want. And he ministers and cares for this person. Well, church, if Jesus does that in John chapter 1 with the disciples, and he does that in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, and he does that in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, and then he's going to go on and he's going to do it with John chapter 5 with a guy who has been lame since birth, and he does it numerous times throughout his ministry, if Jesus is constantly going to take time for people like that, it begins to be instructive for you and me about how we're supposed to be toward people and the attitudes we have. I'm just like you. I sometimes get weary and frustrated by people too. Aren't there times in your life when you think to yourself, people are a pain in the neck? Don't you have some people around you that occasionally just drive you crazy? Don't they become after a while a burden? Don't you have some people that you think, boy, if this person wasn't in my life, things would be a lot neater. And I have no doubt but Jesus was constantly experiencing these people in his life those people that we refer to as extra grace required folks. We have people like that. But Jesus was willing to take the time, not just in his day, but in his night as well, to minister to these people where extra grace is required. And in the process, not just to minister to them, but to get to know them. To get to know them and to love them. To be with them and to build relationship. 
And my impression is that the Holy Spirit maybe wants more than anything in the ministry of Jesus to make sure that relationship happens between himself and them so that those people can have a chance to see their lives completely turned around by Christ himself. He wants that for human life. And he wants you and he wants me to be able to minister to people in such a way that we help turn their lives around. And so here's the the request for the morning. Here's the plea. Here's the encouragement. Open your eyes to the relationships that Jesus wants for you to experience. Are you busy? I know you are. Are you burdened with various things in your life? I know you are. Are there things that you would rather do, perhaps at times, than go spend time ministering to somebody else or focusing on somebody else or giving them a window into your life? Oh yeah, there are times when you just like to go and hide. But our Lord set the example for us by being willing to spend time with those extra grace-required people. He spent time with people who needed him, who needed to have their lives turned around. And we have a chance almost every day, if you think about it, to be open to those kinds of people and to minister. And so I want to encourage you this morning to open your eyes. I want to encourage you to open your hearts. I want you to be willing to say to people, I will help. I want to facilitate. I want to be there. Spirituality is relational. We can't be the disciples that Christ wants us to be. We can't be the Christ followers, the ones who would emulate him, unless somehow we are relating to people and ministering to them, and we need to be open to those folks. Eighteen months ago, a friend of mine flew me to Abbotsford to baptize his son. His son was a basketball player at Columbia Bible College in Abbotsford, and he flew me there to baptize him. And that was kind of cool. It was cool because I've known this family now for 15 or 20 years. And the reason I was baptizing their son was because I took some time at one point to talk to an individual who was hurting And because I did, I was able to baptize the father and I ended up baptizing the mother. And now, well down the road, I'm baptizing a son who wasn't even born when I first met the family. And I cherish that relationship. I cherish the sharing that went on and the opportunity that we had to build relationship and to become family together. Well, those kind of opportunities are around you everywhere. If you look, there are people who want to be in relationship with you and it's just a question of how open your heart is and how available you are to people like that. And I pray that we are. Is Felipe here this morning? Felipe, are you still here? Felipe, brother, come here. Join me. This gentleman is from Peru. I don't know him really well yet. I can tell you the names of his wife and child, Nancy and Berenice. I can tell you that they grew up in a a place that was not too far from the, the ocean in Peru. I can tell you that he was in the health services in Peru and that he's moved here to have a new start for his family. I can tell you that right now he's unemployed, living in an apartment over on 17th Street. 
in the southwest. I can tell you that he's soon on September 5th to move into another apartment and that he needs some help in getting there. With So if you have a pickup and you want to help Felipe move, he, he's ready to go. I can tell you some things like that. But here's what I love to tell you. Felipe and I are brothers. And we are becoming fast friends. Amigos. Yes. And that's because Felipe is open to having a relationship with me and I'm open to having a relationship with him. And God is going to bless us. And I look forward to the fruitfulness that is going to come out of the relationship that he and I are building together. And everybody here is going to have opportunity to be in relationship with different people. You're going to cross paths with them on a daily basis. And we just need to open our hearts and our lives to folks. And God is going to bless us richly. Are you and I amigos? Yes. Are we brothers? Yes. Indeed we are. And I love having you here. I'm so grateful that you and your family have come here. And I look forward to the future as we continue to build our relationship. God bless you. Uh, yes. uh, I, I, only, I only... I want to say uh, uh, to my brothers and sisters, uh, 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 Nancy and, and me, uh, I, I, I love you. In the, uh, I love you in the, in the love of Christ. We love you too. God bless you, my friend. It is so wonderful. It is so wonderful the people that God will send to you and the ways that he will bless you in the course of you open up your heart. You open your heart and you think to yourself, I'm doing some service here. But what happens when you do? God keeps showering blessings on you. And so you open your heart to do something. Open to some person who needs you and the Lord pours into your life the blessings because you do. We just looked at a couple examples from the life of Jesus today. But if we look at at the life of Christ, we see it over and over and over again. The Spirit just kept using Jesus in ministry in that way. And it's so evident how open Christ is to people. And we need to be open to people. Jack mentioned this morning the idea of people being in small groups. Man, I encourage that. I encourage it because being part of small groups will do nothing but build relationships between you and, you and other people. And we'll have a chance to enroll others and get them incorporated in other groups. And and for the whole thing to just continue to mushroom and expand as God blesses us with relationship with each other. I'm so grateful that we have that as a church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the blessing we have of each other. Thank you for the blessing we have of other people. God, you send before us opportunities all the time to minister to others to just build relationship and be with others. Continue to open our hearts. Father, help us not to be too busy. Help us not to have our minds all cluttered with issues and things that prevent us from relating in love with others. Help us to not make excuses. Help us to break down the barriers and help us to just be open to ministering to those around us. Fill our hearts with love. Fill our hearts with the the desire to be in relation with others. We pray these things through Christ. Amen.